be nice to the babysitter. That's what his mom said as 12-year-old Hal was looking at his mom and dad as they said, hey, uh, we have a big quick business meeting, but we'll be back. Uh, They were a believing family, and so he just knew that this was a cool opportunity for him to mess around with his brothers and sisters. He said, I'll be good to the babysitter. I have two brothers, which I can take care of myself, and I have an older sister who acts like she runs the house anyway, so we'll be fine. Uh, So uh, mom and dad take off, and again, mom looks out the back window and says, Hal, be nice to the babysitter. So a few shenanigans happen, and of course, he's not very nice to the babysitter. Uh, But time goes on, and things start to turn around for a little bit when they hear a knock on their front door. So Hal approaches the front door, and it's a local police officer who knows Hal. Twelve years old, twelve-year-old Hal looks up at the police officer, and the police officer says, I have terrible news. Hal, your parents were involved in a terrible accident with a drunk driver, and your father has passed, and your mother's in terrible condition. A family started surrounding the house, and Hal is just thinking, God, if you're real, how could something like this happen? I'm only 12 years old, and and what am I supposed to do without a dad? And so he struggled with his faith, and he struggled trying to figure out what life was supposed to look like, how he could try to still serve God, but still be angry at him, and all of the doubt that he was facing. And he felt like as the people surrounded the house, and the police officer turned around and said, is there anyone that would be willing to take these four kids in their home? Hal said he was just, felt like he was in his heart, just broken. And then a couple raised their hand and said, we'll take them in. And so Hal and his brothers and sister moved in with this family and they raised them as their own. Uh, They didn't have much. Hal often had holes in his shoes and holes in his socks. Uh, was living on, on any type of funding that would, was able to come to them and friends that were helping out and family that was there. He knew what it was like to be someone with a story and who was difficult, dealing with a lot of loss. And so he said maybe as a get older he could start writing. So he started writing stories at a young age, eventually went to college and he became uh, someone who liked journalism. So he studied sports journalism and then he started writing stories and doing journalism for missionaries and, and pastors all over the world. He had the opportunity to go to Calcutta, India, and he sits down with the one and only Mother Teresa. And so he's sitting there with Mother Teresa, and he looks at her shoes, and there's holes in her shoes and holes in her socks. And he finally felt like he wasn't the only one. And so he's writing rapidly every single word that she's saying as if he didn't have enough ink in the pen. So he continues to write and write and write. And Mother Teresa starts talking about the things that she's doing, the missionary organization that she founded, and the people that are experiencing hope, and how lives are being changed. And and Hal is just writing everything down. He's being completely moved. And Mother Teresa stops him and says, Hal, stop for a second. I want to ask you a question. What about you? You've heard what I'm doing. Mother Teresa says, what about you? What are you doing for those who are hurting the poor and the suffering in your life? What are you doing? And he thought to himself, he goes, I have been someone who's been poor and suffering. I've been someone who hasn't had much. And and so many people have taken care of me. But if I'm honest, I look at the world around me and I see so much need. I'm not sure if there's much I can do. I'm only 20-something years old. What can I do? What kind of dent could I make in the world? And Mother Teresa looks at him right in the eyes and says, Everybody can do something. Just do the next kind thing that God puts in front of you. I think that's for us today as well. All of us can do something. Just do the next kind thing that God puts in front of you. He heard that word and it just shook him to his core. So he went back to the States, grabbed his pickup truck, went to the grocery store, bought about $200 worth of groceries, threw in the back of the truck, and then drove down the street and said, anyone who needs groceries, I have your groceries. What started in the back of a pickup truck 
1994, now nearly 30 years later, has transformed and become what we all know as Convoy of Hope. That is all over the world, impacting the world uh, with disaster response. What's happening right now in Turkey and Syria, they're there, boots on the ground. This is our Kingdom Builders partner. And if, you, if you're new to New Brick, this is Kingdom Builders Sunday. It's one of my favorite things to do because you get to hear how we partner with organizations all around the world to truly change the world, to bring hope, to give health, and to end human suffering. And we're seeing it happen. And so we're partnering with Convoy of Hope. Last year, or last year I shared, we gave away over a million dollars to help bring life change into the world. This year, it's our opportunity. Let's start today. So Convoy of Hope reached out to us and called and said, you are known as a church full of compassion and generosity. That's what they said about you. They called and said, you are known as a church full of compassion and generosity. So would you be willing to help the largest disempowered people group in the world? And I said, let me pray about it. Uh, of course. Yes, God's answer to that is yes, you can. Because all of us have a part to play. Everyone can do anything. Uh, everyone can do something. Just do the next kind of thing God puts in front of you. We felt like God put this in front of us to help the poor, the hurting, and the suffering in the world. What started in the back of a pickup truck is now impacting lives all over the world. And as we partly with, with them, they've asked us, would you be willing to help? So how do we help those around us that are truly hurting and suffering? I think all of us have a part to play. I think Convoy reached out to us because, again, we're known as compassionate and generous people. You. So they said, how can we help? Are you willing to help us? And I think we all have a part to play in helping those who are hurting and suffering. And if you're taking notes, please write these two down. I think this helps with, as we're in the series of purpose, this will really help us find purpose. What needs do I see? First question. The second question, what needs do I need to see? Say it again, what needs do I see in the world? Second question, what needs do I need to see? I believe God wants to reveal to us, as we've been talking about purpose, what it truly means. It's in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. We can go and change the world around us, so what needs am I seeing? God has put you here on purpose. It's not a coincidence. You're here on purpose. You're at your workplace on purpose, on your street on purpose. You're in that house, in, in that business on purpose. God says, what needs do you see? I want to see how you can change the world around you. And the truth is, Jesus is just waiting to bless people. And he's like, I just need blessers. And I'm just waiting for someone to say, I'll try. When Convoy reached out, we said, we'll try. And we all do this together. That's what purpose has been all about. It's in Christ we find out who we are and what we are living for. So we do this all together. Speaking with, with Hal Donaldson, the founder of Convoy of Hope, after hearing that question, still to this day, he still says, you'll never get used to seeing hungry kids, hurting families, and help, helpless mothers. You'll never get used to it. When you see someone in need, you have to do something. But is there some type of remedy? Is there something we can do? We say that we want to end human suffering. How do we do it? Well, let's see what God's word has to say about it. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Ruth, if you have your Bibles. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you're going to get to Joshua. Uh, you're going to see Judges. And then you'll see Ruth. Ruth is actually in a time before 1st and 2nd Samuel and before 1st and 2nd Kings. In fact, the last sentence of the book of Judges says, there was no king, so every man did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Wow, doesn't that sound like today? 
I just want to do what I think is right. I mean, follow your heart. Just if you feel it in your gut, just go ahead and give it a shot. That's not the type of people we are. That's not the type of church we are. If it says it in God's word, that's what we live by and that's what we believe. We don't just, oh, I'll just follow my heart and see what I want to do. This seems right to me. If it's not right in God's word, it's not right. So this is what we follow. We follow his word and what he is saying. But it's in the period of the judges, which is a really wild period. No king. Everyone did whatever they wanted to do. And they felt like there were no consequences. And they started going through this cycle. Now, whenever you're in a time of, of spiritual backing up or spiritual retreating, spiritual confusion and moral decay, there's going to be this cycle that you're going to start to see. And Israel went through this cycle. And I wanted to share it with us because you may be familiar with the cycle. It starts with rebellion. God, you're good, but this is better right now. Rebellion. Then retribution is when you experience the consequences for the things that we've done. This is Israel, right? And then goes to repentance. God, would you forgive us? And God says, of course. And so then there's this restitution. God says, I, I want to I restore the things that you lost, and, and I want you to be part of that restoration. But it's this cycle, and if you know this is true for Israel, and we see it all throughout the scriptures, and sadly, it's true for us, isn't it? Rebellion. God, you're great. This is better. God, I messed up, and it's affecting my career. It's affecting my family. It's affecting my relationships. God, would you just forgive me, just repentance? And he says, yes, I, I want to be, be part of that restoration, but you're going to be a part of it as well. And we just see this happening over and over again. And that's where we're at in, as we look at the book of Ruth. We're in this period of the judges, and we're kind of at this place of retribution. There's a famine in the land where they're at, and there's... And what's really wild about the book of Ruth is there's two, two books in the Bible that are named after women. Uh, one of them is Esther, and the other one is Ruth. Ruth is the only one uh, named after a woman who is not an Israelite, which is powerful to even think about. There was something so profound in this life experience of Ruth that God said, we need to know about it. And that there's a story to be told that when, when, when a woman is seen as someone who has value and has power within them and the power of Christ can move in them, there is a story to be told. And so that's what we get to read today. Book of Ruth is only four chapters, 85 verses. It's very short but filled with such beautiful truth. And they're in the midst of a hopeless situation. As I said, they're in the, this place of, of retribution. There's a famine in the land. Uh, Naomi is, is this, this wife married to a man named Elimelech. Elimelech dies. So do her two sons who were married to these two other women, um, Ruth as well as Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah. <laughs> and so we jump into Ruth, the book of Ruth, where we get to see they left Bethlehem where they were from. They went to Moab. And so Naomi goes to Moab. Her sons meet Ruth and Orpah and marry these Moabite women. They eventually pass away. Now you have three widows. And in that time, if you didn't have a husband, it was very difficult for you to survive because you didn't have land. You weren't able to own anything. You were essentially just a piece of property at that time. Again, the period of judges. This is not how God wired society to be. And so they, now they go back to Bethlehem. And this is where we get to read. Now it's just Ruth and Naomi. And I'll explain more why in a bit. So, Ruth chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Elimelech, that name means my God is king. It's by no coincidence that as we read God's word in a time where there was no king in the land, that there'd be a man whose name was my God is my king. There may be no king, but my God will always be my king. Let that be for us as well. 
And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field uh, belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, this is a a powerful story right here, and and already there's so much, just in a few verses, there's so much that that is really being revealed. And when it comes to how we're supposed to help the hurting and the suffering, it starts with this idea of knowing that when it comes to my purpose, I've been wired with compassion. I've been equipped with compassion to change the world around me. How do we find compassion in the book of Ruth? Well, there's this beautiful theme in the book of Ruth. It's actually this really great Hebrew word called chesed. You hear that? Yes, chesed. Everyone say it after me. Chesed. Oh, it sounds beautiful. Now wipe the back of your neck. The first. Okay, uh, chesed. Uh, chesed is a beautiful word of compassion. It's mercy, but it's more. It's kindness, but it's more. It's gentleness, but it's more. It's a loyal love. It's, it's something that would go beyond. It's dedication beyond the requirements of the law. That's what it's like. That's what chesed is all about. In fact, there's over 80 words trying to describe this beautiful Hebrew word chesed because one word in Hebrew means a bunch of other words in English because they have one word to encapsulate the type of people that God's people are supposed to be. Hased. You've been equipped with Hased. So whenever you walk into a room, you have love and more and mercy and more and compassion and more and kindness and more and gentleness and more. All of it and more. You've been equipped with Hased. Devotion beyond what is required. And there's actually three widows in the story, like I said. There's uh, Ruth, Naomi, and Orpah. Uh, so Naomi says, hey, I'm going back to Bethlehem as they're in Moab. Moab is, is a place that is serving a, a false god named uh, Chemosh. Uh, Chemosh was this false god that desired human sacrifices, most often children. And so you have these Moabite women, and then you have a woman who is an Israelite, Naomi. And Naomi's saying, you can go back there because I have nothing to give you. I mean, you were married to my sons, but they're dead. My husband is gone. We don't own anything. We can't provide for ourselves. People are going to take advantage of us. You know the period we're living in. People do whatever they want. We have nothing to offer. So Naomi says, Orpah and Ruth, you guys go your separate ways. I have nothing to offer you. Orpah says, perfect, later. Gone. Orpah just leaves. We hear no more about her in the book of Ruth. But Ruth looks at Naomi and offers this beautiful idea of compassion. It says, wherever you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. This is the moment of her complete transformation from being a Moabite serving uh, this false god of Chemosh to being a follower of God, Yahweh. Naomi, there's something different about you. We're going through this same pain and this same loss, but you carry yourself different. Your God is going to be my God. I'll leave everything. And the truth is, when it comes to this idea, maybe many of us have heard people say things like this, and that's enthusiasm. I've heard it said that enthusiasm is common, but endurance is rare. Ruth kept with it. Ruth Ruth stayed within this statement. She said, I'm going to be there for you. No matter what, you can call me anytime, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be with you. Your God will be my God. And the truth is that when it comes to compassion, when it comes to this idea of hased, it's not a fleeting feeling. It's not, I'm compassionate today, but tomorrow I'll decide. It's compassionate all the time. It's a devotion, being willing and committed to anyone to help them in their hopeless and helpless situations. 
And what I love about the, the Bible that we read, uh, God's word actually writes compassion into his instructions for how society works best. Uh, think of the world that we live in right now. Imagine if there was more compassion. Imagine if we lived in a compassionate society. First thing, there would be no need. Marcus, there's no way there could be no need in the world. Read the book of Acts. None of them had need because they shared everything they have. There'd be no need. Poverty, gone. When someone was suffering, they'd have a place to go because you would open up your house. This idea of hased is this, this idea that we're just supposed to live. It should be so natural within us. If we want a more compassionate society, we need more compassionate people. Again, Jesus is saying, I'm just looking for someone to say, I'll try. Right? Naomi gave this, gave this idea of compassion to share the love of God with Ruth. That's what led Ruth to be like, you know what, I'm, your God will be my God. Because Naomi knew that God would take care of them. This is why when Ruth says, let me go into the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I, have, I find favor. I find some type of hased, some type of compassion uh, beyond the requirement of the law. Naomi said, go ahead. <laughs> Our God will take care of us. That's where I want to be in my life. When someone says, I'm just not sure how this is going to turn out. You know, I think I'm just going to pray about it and hope something happens. <laughs> yeah, do that. Watch what God will do. For, for Naomi, the key was trusting God that he would provide. For you and I, the key is trusting God that he is going to provide, that he is going to give us an opportunity to experience his goodness and to share his goodness with others. Naomi knew Ruth is learning, and I believe all of us are still learning. But Naomi knew something that Ruth would begin to understand, that God has already, already set up society to work like this. You see, in the book of Deuteronomy, it would say this, when you're harvesting and your crops and you forget to bring in a bundle of grain, don't go back and get it. Now you're thinking, well, I mean, maybe you don't harvest and have a lot of crops. Okay, imagine you bought some groceries at the store. You took the grocery, grocery bags to the car. You went home, and then you realize you left about three bags of groceries. God says, don't go get it. Well, hey, God, the way uh, my stomach is set up with food, <laughs> I kind of need that. And he goes, there's someone who has, who has more of a need. Imagine if it were to read like this in the 20, 21st century. Um, when you're driving your car and you park and you realize that you could have walked there, leave your car there because there's someone who needs it more than you do. <laughs> we're laughing already, right? We're like, well, are they going to take the payments as well, God? Because I'm just trying to... No, God is saying this is an opportunity to bless. You're harvesting and you forget something, just leave it there. And why? Because he says, leave it for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. If you want to know what belief in God, faith in Christ, and the Holy Spirit empowering in us is all about, it's caring for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows every time. In fact, later in the book of James, we would see that this true way that we could worship God, this true idea of having a relationship with him, is caring for the widows and the orphans. That's said. I want to care for the people that feel helpless and hopeless because I've been blessed to bless others. Hal Donaldson, the founder of Convoy of Hope, he would say, the impact of your life is measured by the value you place on other people. What's our value that we place on other people around us? When Hal calls and asks Newbreak to partner, we value people, especially the largest disempowered people group in the world. <laughs> We're there. You're thinking, why, why, sh why should I care, though? Why, why should I care? And maybe you wouldn't word it that way, but you may be feeling it. What's it to me, though? Well, 
I feel like God knew that we would ask that question. And so he goes on in the book of Deuteronomy, same chapter. He says this, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember you've been in need. That's why I'm giving this command. Have you ever been in need? No, I mean desperate need. I mean a desperate need when you are crying out to God, God, could I just, it's not that I need a lot. I just, I just need something. God, my, my kids have nothing to eat. God, if there could just any way, if we could just get some rice, I, I, could, I could make that turn into a meal that will last three days. God, is there anything that you can do? God, I have no job and, and we're supposed to pay the mortgage. God, is there any way you've ever been in that type of need? God, I don't even need a job. I, I, I already have the job. God, I just need to be able to understand what I'm supposed to do next. God, I just need purpose. Have you ever been in desperate need? God is saying, I know you have. And so you know what it feels like to have others who are in desperate need. And you can provide the need that they need with God's help. I've seen it in my own family. My, my sis, two sisters and my mother, uh, my sister Alex, my sister Lolita that I call Tenyel because when I was younger I had a speech impediment and I said Wowita. And so then I called her Yayel. Uh, that was as close as I could get to Tenyel, but I still call her Tenyel to this day. And then my, mo- my mother's name is Lolita as well, so another name I couldn't say. So yes, uh, that was in our house, but we grew up with a lot of pain and suffering, uh, feeling neglected, um, abandoned, abused. And those three women are some of the strongest women that I've ever seen in my life. Give them a hand. They're here today. Give them a hand. Uh, my sister Alex is, is passionate about helping kids know that they're seen. And so she works uh, at a child care center. Uh, my sister Danielle cares about showing kids and families that they're seen and they're loved and that they can be cared for. And she would do anything, not only for her kids, but for your kids. And so she's a director at a school. My mom is passionate about finding the people who feel forgotten because she's been there. And she's passionate about helping those kind of people. I think of my wife, Nikki, who recently just got accepted for her internship at Washington, D.C. Give her a huge hand. Uh, She's going to live there for a year, and I'm staying here and holding down the fort, and then she'll be back, and I can't wait. Uh, But she's passionate about helping people who are dealing with mental health challenges. And so she wants to spend the rest of her life doing that. And I think about those women, and I think about if they weren't given the opportunity to be loved, to be cared for, so that they would know that this is what love feels like, so I can give that to someone else, I think of where I would be. Think about the women in your life that have shared love with you and showed you the possibilities that God has for you, that welcomed you with all of your mess and said, I see you and I love you. Think about if those women weren't given the opportunity to stand up and speak up. I think about Pastor Kamar and Pastor Karen, uh, Pastor Bev. I mean, I think about our, peop- our, our women that are on our staff that have been given the opportunity to stand on platforms like this, uh, many of them going to different parts in the world, standing on platforms, telling people about Jesus and how God sees them, leading mental health uh, matters groups, and lives are being changed because these women have been given the opportunity to do what God had already wired in them. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that cares. 
And the, and the truth is, when it comes to God's people, when we see a type of need, this is why the women I shared, and in, in, many in this room watching online, this is why when we hear about the needs of those who are suffering, those who are, who are being mistreated and undervalued, we have to take action. We do something about it. We refuse to be silent, to remain idle, and just look around. Purpose is active. You can't just say, I'm purposeful right now, and in 10 minutes, I don't think so. No, you keep moving. The world needs said. Hal Donaldson would share in his book, Disruptive Compassion, he would say, change will happen whether you like it or not. Positive change is a choice. And I believe we want to be a church that is bringing change to the world in the best way possible. So as Pastor Nate said, that there would be heaven on earth. And we're already seeing glimpses of it. I wanted to share what we got to see because of your giving with a woman named Taru whose family and her life changed forever because of you. We'll share this video. I went through a lot of ups and downs when my husband died. After he passed, I had to become stronger and I struggled to provide for my children. My daughter told me that food would be provided for her at school through Convoy of Hope. I was overjoyed because I didn't have to worry about her being hungry anymore. Through my daughter's participation in the feeding program, I learned about Convoy's Women's Empowerment Program. Since 2010, more than 3,000 women, destitute women uh, in absolute poverty, have been economically empowered. We are uh, taking the mothers of the school feeding children and bring them to our Women Economic Empowerment Program so that sustainably they can feed their children in the future. Through the training, we learned how to make injera and how to run a business. After I joined the Women's Empowerment Project, I have seen so many changes in my family's life. I don't worry because I'm not in debt anymore. I have money to buy food and I can provide for my children. I even have a savings. Women who cannot eat uh, daily, now beyond that, they have started saving, they have expanded their businesses, they have expanded their income, they are improving the livelihood of their children, so they are models in the community. The community is learning much from them. That's uh, amazing. I can't even express my happiness because I never expected days like this would come. The help we received from the Women's Empowerment and Children's Feeding Programs has changed our lives. If my husband was alive, he would be proud. Thank you very, very much. If my husband was alive, he would be very, very proud. Sounds like a story we're reading in the book of Ruth. I said, we take action. We, we've taken action to help women and families in places like Ethiopia, Taru. We've changed her life. Uh, there's more to the story reading in the book of Ruth. Watch how her life begins to change. Verse 4, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and he greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Could you imagine if that's how you walked into your business? The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. It'd be awkward at first, but it'd be pretty cool. Let's get to these financials, you know, right away. Okay, now verse five. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does this young woman belong to? Now, what you may not know about this story is Ruth is most likely gleaning more than what the law allowed. 
She, she's out there just grabbing everything she can get. Boaz walks up, who's the owner, and Ruth was probably like, oh no, here comes the boss. And she's probably walking away. And so the overseer is telling Boaz, he says, she's a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. And Boaz starts to be reminded, oh yeah, that's, that's family actually. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. She was essentially getting after it. And Boaz is like, what is happening? So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. I mean, he, he says, my daughter. He, he gives her a title that she would feel that she didn't even deserve. You have to know when you're gleaning in the fields, it's as if the, what we see often right here even in San Diego, someone walking with a trash bag, grabbing cans, hopefully so they can just have food to put on the table. It's that type of feeling. It's, it's filled with heavy shame. It's not joyful. It's, it's hoping that you can kind of be ignored enough to put food on your table, but kind of be seen enough to hopefully get some type of favor. Imagine the judgment she's getting, but she goes from neglected to noticed. Because there's something that happens beyond the law. You'll notice in a moment, this is not about just ethnic inclusion. This is not economic inclusion. This is relational inclusion with the kingdom of God. This is why when Boaz says, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay with me and those who work for me. Verse 9, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along with the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. Now, Pastor, why does that even matter, not to lay a hand? Because it's the time of the judges. And men did whatever they wanted to do. So Ruth was at risk of being abused, being beaten, and worse. And Boaz says, don't touch this woman. Now imagine the type of authority he would have to tell them in the period of the judges, what you're doing is not right, so don't do anything else. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. <laughs> I wish we were reading it when it was written. Because, because what just happened here is what, what would typically happen when the men were thirsty, they would say, woman, get me something to drink. The women would go, and they would go fill up a jug, bring it back to the men, and if the women were thirsty, they had to wait until the men had their fill. I saw this when, when we were in Egypt. We're sitting down in Egypt after the women had cooked this amazing meal, and the men sit down, begin to eat, and if there's any leftovers, then the woman could eat. This is still happening today in the world. Yes, there's been some strides that have been made, but nowhere close to how God had designed it to be. So he says, the men can fill the water for you. You're good. Then he goes on. At this she bowed with her face to the ground because she doesn't, doesn't even understand it. She says, why have I found such hased in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Right? Because for her, if you've ever been in desperate need, there's no such thing as entitlement for you because you don't think you deserve anything because you've been told your entire life that you deserve nothing. So all she can say is, how and why? He goes on, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done with your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with people you didn't even know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. Did you see it in the cycle? Rebellion, retribution, repentance. Now we're at restitution, the restoration piece. 
May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you come to take refuge. And then she continues, may I find, continue to find favor in your eyes. You've put me at ease. Can you imagine being a woman who has been suffering, feeling loss, feeling neglect, feeling pain, feeling like there's nothing that she could ever get her hands on to finally give her some type of hope. And then someone says, my daughter, and she says, I'm finally at ease. She says, you brought me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. Though do I not have a standing as one of your servants? Imagine what she was feeling as she was disempowered, as she was feeling like there's nothing I have to offer, feeling like you have no control and no value. That impacts your purpose, that impacts your identity when you feel like I have nothing to offer. That was then, but it's also happening now, which is why when Convoy of Hope called, they said, would you partner with us with our, with our opportunity to bring empowerment to women all over the world. The largest disempowered people group in the world is women. And if you've been to any other place around the world, you've seen it. Something has to be done because they're not valued, so they're not protected, which means violence is accepted against them. Uh, many, many countries and, and places view educating women as a waste because if they learn, they might be able to get out of the situation that they're in. So they oppress them and they disempower them. Because in many areas of our world, women are viewed as property to own, not people to love. Something has to be done. And I want to share just a few of today's realities that we see around the world. And something has to be done. Again, when, when people of God hear about the disempowered, the undervalued, the neglected, the abused, we have to do something. So what will you and I do as we share and as we hear these statistics? When you hear that 129 million school-age girls aren't in school, you think, how does that affect anything? Well, if they're not in school, they're not learning, get an ed education, which can help them provide for later as they have kids. What's happening is, well, they're at home. Isn't that a safe place? No, at home, they're getting abused. Uh, they're getting trafficked. They're, they're getting so much pain and oppression while they're at their house. Home is not a place that they want to be. They want to go to school to hopefully get a meal, hopefully, as you saw Convoy of Hope providing, feeding 500,000 kids every single day all over the world. Hopefully, they can go to school and get a meal, someone that loves them. Maybe they can get a pair of shoes, but no, if they stay home, they're in the same difficulty, the same pain, and their abuser is with them. And you're thinking, well, aren't there laws to protect that? Unfortunately, not in 49 countries. 49 countries have no laws protecting women against domestic violence. I've seen that also as I've gone different places in the world. It's not called violence, so there is no law. It's just called normal. They're undereducated, they're undervalued, they're unwanted, and they're abandoned, which leads them to living on the streets. And this is why we see 60% of the chronically hungry individuals in our world today are women and girls. They're not going to school, they're getting abused, they're left on the streets, and they have nothing to eat. 736 million people today live on less than $1.90 a day. That's $60 a month. You've probably spent that on coffee. I mean, if we're, on it, if we're honest, I don't know if the last time you went out on a date that only cost $60. I mean, going to a movie can cost more than that with a family. You spent that on a pair of shoes. You spent that on a cool water bottle to have your clean drinking water. And they have nothing. 
And how can we change this? What's, what does women's empowerment have to do with this? Well, 43% 43 of the agricultural labor force in the world is women. And if you empower the women farmers in our world today, you could reduce the number of hungry people by 150 million. Just by empowering the 43% that are there because they don't have the same resources and the same benefits as some of the men agriculture workers do. So you get to say, I want to help you increase your yields 20 to 30%, which would bring uh, the, those who are hungry in the world down by 150 million. 150 families who would be able to have a meal together for the first time. Right? We have this opportunity to give grace and hope and help to those who are in desperate need because the world needs desperate change. In fact, Hal Donaldson in his book, Disruptive Compassion, he would say, the world doesn't need tweaking, it needs profound change. It needs a revolution marked by disruptive compassion. How many of us agree? So we have to stand up, we have to do something, or else the world will continue to per perpetuate what we've already seen, oppression and poverty and death and decay. If we don't want to see that happen anymore, we have to do something. Because when God's people hear about the needs of the world, we respond and take action. And as I said, we've seen glimpses. We saw a Taru's story. I mean, since 2010, the women's initiative kicked off. There's been 64,000 women and girls that have been empowered in 20, since 2010. And then notice in 2021, nearly half of that was just in 2021 because it's ramping up. Because there's people and, and women and young girls who are hearing, wait, you can help me? I'm willing to do whatever it takes. So just in 2021, 35,314 women and girls have been empowered. Just in 2021, it's ramping up. 16 countries right now have women's empowerment programs, and I want to see that number continue to increase. Change is, is not just a destination, it's a direction. God, we want to see heaven come to earth. That's what change begins to look like. And we do for one, which we wish you could do for all. Because when you impact one life, you impact generations, breaking the cycle of poverty, and you instill purpose in them. This is what we get to do today. What I love about the book of Ruth, if it weren't for Ruth, you and I wouldn't be here today. You're here because of the hased of another. You're here because the hased of other generations. You're here because of hased of Ruth and the hased of Boaz to Ruth, which Boaz is what we call typology or Christology. It's when you see Christ being acted out through someone else in Scripture before Christ comes on the scene in the New Testament. So Boaz is what we call a type of Christ. Long story short, Boaz and Ruth get married, they have a child, and you're not going to believe what happens. Salmon was the father of Boaz, who was the mother of Rahab. Rahab, yes, that you read in, in Joshua. Rahab was a, a harlot, as they call her, a woman of the night, and she's in this lineage. Boaz was the father of Obed, who was the mother of Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. If you continue reading in Matthew chapter 1, you get to about verse 16, and it says Jesus was born of the house of David of the tribe of Judah. Because of Ruth and Obed, we eventually get to David, which eventually gets us to Jesus, which eventually gets us to you and me. A book that starts in famine ends with family. A book that starts in crisis ends with Jesus Christ. A hopeless situation is changed to a hope-filled destiny. This is what we get to be a part of. Another life changed by compassion, changed by hased. I want to share another story of a woman named Matilda, who you and I got to help. And there's so many more stories to be told, but I want us to be a part of it. So we're going to watch this short video, and then we're going to join together in worship as we prepare our hearts for what our part is.
Let's watch the video. I used to make Swahili donuts to sell. Putting Junior on my back while I worked was exhausting. The profit from selling donuts was very small, so sometimes we had to sleep hungry. When Junior saw me worrying, he would say, Don't worry, Mama. We'll just drink tea and eat donuts tonight. And tomorrow you sell more, and then we can eat. I was so happy. I told God, you really know us, don't you? Even the other mothers in the community were saying, we are so happy when the kids come home from school, they've already eaten. The Women's Empowerment Program taught me how to run a business. I learned about savings, budgeting, and how to take care of my family. The program really blessed me, and it helped me get where I am now. When I opened my shop for the first time, I still wasn't totally confident in myself, but I kept doing business, I gained courage, and I was like, okay, I can do this. I thank God, because now we can cook proper meals at home. After being empowered by Convoy of Hope, I had more available money, and now whatever Junior's needs are, I can take care of them. When I think about the hardships I've been through, I don't want to see anyone else cry about their life. So because the way Convoy empowered me, I was able to help another woman in need. If we keep doing that, I hope that we are able to reach a lot of women. Through Convoy of Hope, women can see themselves as capable of good work. Junior and I had given up hope, but Convoy restored it and showed me that I am capable. So these are the lives that we get to change. Women all over the world that are hoping that there'd be someone like you and me to say we see you and we love you. One of the things that happened when Mother Teresa asked how Donaldson, what are you doing for the, those who are hurting and those who are suffering? Later on in life, after he realized how much that really challenged him, he would say that you can either be paralyzed by the needs of the world or be prompted by the needs of the world. This is why they are most often the first boots on the ground, like in Turkey and Syria and in Ukraine. And anytime there is a tragedy, tragedy, Uvalde, they're there and they're there because you and I give. Now they asked, would you help us? Being a church of compassion and generosity, would you help us empower women all over the world? They asked us specifically if we could help raise $100,000 because I think that we truly can. I truly believe it. I think we can blow this out of the water, but we need all, everyone's help to do this. 
He said $100,000 would change so many lives. He said just if you focus $100,000 on, on just the girls empowerment groups, that'd be 4,000 girls who would get one year of, of having this type of support and teaching to help with cultural issues, teach them nutrition, emotional health, mental health, menstrual health, to give them an opportunity to get out of dangerous and, and really life-threatening relationships for the first time. 4,000 of them. He said, if, if you gave uh, 100000 just just to go towards starting businesses, that's over 330 businesses that would be started. Think about the generational difference that would happen if we were able to say, we're going to do something. 330 businesses started. Generational resources, generational security. Hello, she said, I finally have a savings. Imagine what we could do around the world. Not only we're training, but we're also believing. And lastly, $1,000 uh, provides uh, one woman to actually go through the entire program. So that'd be, that'd be a, a, a over 100 women going through this and experiencing, wow, you see me. You see me and you care. Helping them with household finances, helping them not just starting a business, but learning how to run a business. Generational impact. They'd, they'd get kindness from you and I and compassion from you and I. Their lives would be changed because we said we are people of Hased. We will change the world around us. We do for one, which we wish we could do for all. And in this last story, Matilda said, I've taken what I've learned and I've helped another and hopefully another. And if we keep doing that, everything will change. So let's take what we've received from God and continue to help and serve another. Because everyone can do something. Just do the next kind thing that God puts in front of you. For us, this is the next kind thing. So would you partner with us as we give? If you're giving online, you can go to newbreak.church slash give. You can click there. It's, it's the, the drop down says the first place is Convoy of Hope. That's where it goes. Anything that's given is going to be going to Convoy of Hope to impact the world. Of course, more, more than you could ever imagine. Lives will be changed because of what we get to do today. Hal told us, he said, together we're changing billions of lives every single day. And we're just getting started because we're bringing them hope. Let's continue. The servers are going to come forward. We can give as the baskets come by. Continually give online. If you haven't made a decision of what that looks like, start somewhere. God is looking for people to bless. And he says, I'm just waiting for someone to say, I'll try. So my wife and I did. We said, we'll try. So we gave. Would you be willing to try and watch what God can do? As Naomi said, go ahead and watch what God does. He'll always take care of, take care of us. So would you stand as we pray? So God, we come before you. We ask God that you would lead us and guide us, place on our hearts a, a deep passion and desire to care for those who, who haven't been cared for, those who are feeling helpless, those who are feeling hopeless. God, that we have a true hased within us and a compassion that can lead them to an all-loving, all-powerful God. So God, as we give, we ask that as we give every single amount that's given, is truly changing lives. We want to see more stories like Matilda and Taru, where families are changed, communities are restored, and people are receiving the love and the joy of Christ. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.